One of my goals with the Secret Podcast is to make the supernatural more natural and the paranormal more normal. These are events and occurrences that happen as a part of our natural and normal everyday lives. We've just been conditioned to ignore them and deny their existence. Well, it's time to undo that conditioning. I'm proud to announce that Ray Davis and I of Sixth Sense Media have created our own Sixth Sense Media clothing line. We can't always go up to somebody and say, hey, what do you think about disclosure and UFOs and aliens on the earth? But you can wear one of our Disclosure Now t-shirts and get people's attention. Start the conversation or connect with another like-minded person who sees your shirt. If you're a truth seeker or someone looking to enact positive change in the world, why not wear it with pride? Connect with other like-minded truth seekers and become the change you want to be and see in this world. Visit SixthSenseMedia.net, click on the store tab, and become the change you were born to inspire. Visit SixthSenseMedia.net, click on the store. Welcome to Truth Seekers. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life. There's something wrong in the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there. I'm going to be very candid with you. I wrote both novels based on fragmentary residual memories of such a horrid slave state world. People claim to remember past lives. I claim to remember a different, very different present life. I know of no one who has ever made this claim before, but I rather suspect that my experience is not unique. What perhaps is unique is the fact that I am willing to talk about it. We are living in a computer programmed reality and the only clue we have to it is when some variable is changed and some alteration in our reality occurs. We would have the overwhelming impression that we were reliving the present deja vu. Perhaps in precisely the same way, hearing the same words, saying the same words, I submit that these impressions are valid and significant. And I will even say this, such an impression is a clue that at some past time point, a variable was changed, reprogrammed as it were, and that because of this, an alternative world branched off. The wise and courageous words of the late author Philip K. Dick in 1977. That was at the Mets Sci-Fi Convention where he made that statement. Hello, Truth Seekers. Dennis Nappy II here with Sixth Sense Media. And we are certainly going to challenge reality, question at what you've been taught, and hope to inspire a new direction of thought and bring about change. This will definitely try to make the paranormal feel normal and the supernatural quite natural. Once again, on the Seeker Podcast, welcome, my friends. You know, I've listened to that. I can't even begin to tell you how many times with what Philip K. Dick was trying to explain and express to us. Back in the 70s, such a statement sounded insane. Today, 2019, to many people, such a statement most likely sounds insane but what's interesting now is that we have the technology that gives us the vocabulary 
to at least understand the possibility of what he is talking about. In the 70s, this, this vocabulary was not common knowledge. And now we're looking at it going, well, this is possible. And that's fascinating. And what does that tell us about what else might be possible? I want to talk a little bit about, I don't even know what I'm going to call this show yet, see where it, where it goes. Um, but this, what is this universe? What is this matrix reality that we're in? Um, I got a lot I want to say about that. But in that section, I'm going to start with this, then go to some news, and then I'll, I'll come back to it. Um, but Phil Dick, during that discussion, he says, we're living in a computer programmed reality. And the only clue we have to it is one when some variable is changed and some alteration in our reality is, occurs. We would have the overwhelming impression that we were reliving the present, deja vu perhaps, in precisely the same way, hearing the same words, saying the same words. I submit that these impressions are valid and significant. I will even say this. Such an impression is a clue that at some point, at some past time point, a variable was changed, reprogrammed as it were, and then because of this alternative world, uh, because of this, an alternative world branched off. What the heck is he saying there? When you listen to what he's saying, if you've ever seen that part in the Matrix, and I, I break this down in Food for the Archons in great detail. This is one of my favorite chapters in the book, favorite uh, three, three or four chapters it took me to explain this. But where Neo sees the cat and he goes, whoa, deja vu, and everybody panics. It's a glitch in the Matrix. That means they've changed something. What Philip K. Dick is saying is that if you experience deja vu, you are having a conscious alert that there is now a glitch in the Matrix. And what he suspects that means is that they have changed something in the past that has now created a new timeline. Well, how is that an indicator of a new timeline? Well, basically, what would happen is you have, let's say you have base reality and someone external from the matrix or with the ability to manipulate the matrix goes in and changes something because they want to alter the timeline. Let's say they want to kill off Hitler before he's born uh, or make sure make the world change differently at the time of, of Hitler. So they'll go in and they will change it before his rise to power. So he dies. Somebody will experience deja vu. Now, if you're having deja vu, you are the copy. Now, think about that for a minute. So you have timeline A, which is base reality. Hitler goes on and does everything that our current history books tells us. But when they go in and make that change, timeline B spins off. So timeline A is still going. There's no change. You go through your life as whoever you are, and everything happens and falls into place. You, If you have deja vu, you're the copy, and something has changed, and now you are in this new time stream. And the reason why you have deja vu is because the, the new timeline started. They created a copy of that entire other timeline, and then they kicked it back at its starting point, maybe a second or two. So everything up until that point is the same, and then it's like you jump back maybe three seconds as the new world spins off, and you remember that moment twice. Because your copy is remembering what the base reality has already experienced. And that's when you say, deja vu, I've been through this before. 
you've been through that last three seconds before, everything else is new. So who's changing the timeline? Lots to think about, my friends. And, and what I want to look at on this show is evidence that points us towards this being possible. Are there clues that we are in this type of reality? And I'm not going to get to all of them. There's a whole bunch of them. They, uh, here's a plug. They are in the book. They are in Food for the Archons. If you haven't gotten your copy yet, please pick it up at SixthSenseMedia.net or on Amazon.com. And we go deep into this. And why is it important to understand what this reality is? Because if we don't know where we are, how can we chart a course towards where we are going? So I think for truth seekers out there who want to know, want to understand... We need a roadmap. We need some form of starting point to know where we are. Now, this may not be for everybody. How far are you willing to go in your search for truth? And this doesn't even necessarily mean, are you willing to pull an Indiana Jones and go out in the desert and fight the bad guys and risk your life? You may just be risking your sanity as you start to explore some of this knowledge. There's a, it's a wild journey to wrap your head around. So let, I want to go through some things that are uh, modern day news that may indicate that we are creating another matrix. Uh, and then something interesting too, that I think is important. We're able to hack into a computer. We can take control of a computer or Really, just we can take a computer and use it to do what we want it to do. We can program a computer. We can put a computer in a machine's mind and make that machine do what we want to do. Interesting article from NPR dated September 9th titled The CIA's Secret Quest for Mind Control, Torture, LSD, and a Poisoner-in-Chief. I want you to read this article and really... A lot of you listening to this show already understand this. You're well aware of MKUltra. Here's the thing. The CIA was looking for how to control the human mind. They began to view the mind as a machine. It wasn't just the CIA. It was a bunch of these crazy scientists. They were, is crazy the right word? I don't even know. They were very smart. Diabolical in what they were doing, though. So they had this goal of controlling the mind and they, they found that if again watch the documentary the minds of men by uh by truth stream i'll have that linked in the show notes as well because they go into great detail but basically they learned how to hack the mind at some points they're putting electrodes into the mind and then those electrodes would send certain electronic pulses or impulses into the brain and they were able to change people's moods they were able to manipulate them to move their body other experiments have shown that with these electrodes inserted into animals for example there was a bull where the electrodes were inserted into they could turn on and turn off aggression so the matador now with a remote control can walk into that ring and just push a button and make the bull stop charging him. They've done this with rats. They've done this with other lab animals. And this is just this is just what's been made public. Again, this isn't a conspiracy theory. This isn't a science fiction story. This is fact. And this was starting in the 40s and 50s through the 60s and 70s. And then we know it didn't stop. Here's what's interesting to me frustrating at times and i knew this was the reaction i was going to get 
but I I put this from NPR, which is a, a, a website that if you're quoting something, non-conspiracy-minded people are, are comfortable consuming information from a, a news organization like NPR. So I put this article on my Facebook page, and I made a couple comments about it, and nothing. Crickets. I had, I think, two likes on it, and the two people who liked it are people who know me personally and, and follow the show. So they don't really count. Everybody else ignored it. Now, here's the acknowledgement that the United States government was doing experiments to manipulate people's minds, to control people's minds without their knowledge, and nothing, nobody wants to look at it. It gets frustrating sometimes, but then we need to step back and really explore this greater reality. Maybe that's not their journey to know. As frustrating as that is. And first of all, maybe no is not the right word. To perceive, I like that better because I, we really, I really... We don't know anything. We think we do sometimes. And I, a friend of mine sent me a quote. I got to find it now. Um, but it was talking about what we have when it comes to knowledge. Let's see if I can find it. Uh, basically, it was a, I think it was a quote from Descartes. And it was saying that you know, we don't really know anything, but at some point in order to function this reality, you got to commit to a belief. And there are people who are committed to certain beliefs that hearing something that your government is torturing you and trying to control your mind would completely rip the world apart. And that's a, that's a major psychological shift to go through. Now, most of you listening to this show, you've been through that probably multiple times. Your world has been torn apart because you've, you've had that itch in your brain you said this doesn't seem right and you dig and you dig and you dig and then <gasps> one moment things are made clear to you and you're like this can't be real this can't be and then the ripple effect happens and you start seeing how this new knowledge ripples through your understanding of this reality and how this world works and everything changes and all the relationships change and you see things much much differently and you start to think, and this, you get the thought, and then you have that aha moment, and then sometimes it takes a couple of days, a couple of weeks, depending on how heavy it is. Sometimes it could take months to a couple of years for that information to fully assimilate and process into your psyche, into your actual understanding of the world. It takes a while for that, because what I think is happening is you are accepting a program. There's programs out there which are in the form of thought, and you're accepting certain programs, and those programs take a while to assimilate in your mind because sometimes those programs have to go through and undo the old programming in your mind. Now it's difficult for us to admit that maybe we have been programmed because then we have to ask the question, well who are we? What is our mind? If we can be programmed to change, am I really me? Who is who am I? What is me? You know, I, I knew somebody who worked with people that had traumatic brain injuries. This was years ago. This was before I 
really took the plunge. I was interested in, oh, there's UFOs and ghosts and things, or, but I, I had no idea about any of this stuff. But I had this thought, and I knew this was important at the time, but I didn't know why. She was telling me about her patients, without violating HIPAA, but she was telling me about her patients and how they were regular people like all of us, and then all of a sudden, they'd get this traumatic brain injury, and they would change. They'd become these violent people, or some people would start acting on their sexual desires that they normally kept repressed, or they'd become rude. They ended their marriages, they moved away from their families, or they ceased to be able to function in normal society. They would start developing um, mental disorders that caused them to be a threat to themselves. Well, that's a completely change, a complete shift in personality. Is that not what MK Ultra was aiming to do to be able to change and control and manipulate people's behaviors? Well, this happens naturally when somebody has a traumatic brain injury. So we don't even really know who we are. Are we just aspects of a program that seems to be running? Who is programming it? Now, in speaking with Edward Reardon in, in, in his recent discussions as he was remote viewing Pi... It sounds like there is a high, we can, for now, let's call it the higher self, but that higher self can also equate to a, maybe a central processing unit that fragments itself out into the internet of things that then those internet of things, meaning each individual unit of consciousness that's out there, that is a part of us acting as a node, gathering information and performing whatever tasks the higher brain, the higher self, the higher, higher consciousness wants us to accomplish. Again, that is a lot for us to process and assimilate when we think of something like that. Now, I'm, I'm going deep down that rabbit hole right now. And I want to talk a minute about, when, when I come back to this, I listened to a conversation on Unknown Country with Whitley Strieber and Riz Verk. Riz Verk has recently released a book uh, about the simulation argument and uh, about you know, the fact that we're living in a simulation I've been following him on Twitter for a while. I am. I plan on reaching out to him this week. I want to get him on the show because it's a fascinating conversation that they have. And I want to talk a little bit about some of the things he said, him and Whitley talked about, in regards to who may actually be on this planet, who or what may be walking among us on this planet. So I'm going to come back to that. Now, what were, what I suspect right now... Let's talk about Nick Bostrom for a minute. Nick Bostrom said that, uh, basically, he has a simulation argument. He's out of Oxford. And he said, you know, the chance that if if humans reach a level of technological advancement, I'm summarizing it here, but you can look it up. I'm sure you've heard of it. He said there's a good chance that they, if they reach technological advancement, they will eventually run simulation. Um, they were ancestor simulations is what he called them. He said those ancestor simulations are ways for them to look at their history and change things and see, well, what happened? And he says if they're running one, there's a chance that they're going to be running multiple simulations. And he says and eventually those simulations may reach a level of technological advancement where those simulations will start running simulations of their own. So you have simulations within simulation. I've talked about this before. Because you have multiple levels of simulations running. And he says so it's a simple numbers game right now that... Basically, the chances, the probability of us being base reality, of us being the first one, are much smaller than the chances of us actually being in a simulation. So if you look at it from logic, if you look at it from a numbers standpoint, 
there's a chance, there's a greater chance that we're in a simulation than there is that we are the first base reality. Now, thousands and millions of questions come to mind when we think about something that like that. Number one, then, well, what is base reality and how is it different from digital reality? And where did base reality come from? How did that even start? And that's like the question, you know, for those that believe in God, when I was a kid, I used to say, well, you know, where did God come from? My dad said, well, he made himself. That didn't make any sense to me. So it's one of those paradigms or paradoxes uh, that hurts your brain to think about. So why am I taking the time to go through that? Well, what we're seeing right now is the creation of other universes, of other realities. We are actually doing that right now. We are creating those simulated realities. Just look at the gaming industry, and what I'm saying is nothing new. You look at the gaming industry, and these games are... Um, the, these games are simulations. Some of them are, are simulations of this reality, but some of them are just simulations of things that may look like our reality in maybe a dystopian kind of way or a futuristic kind of way. There's similarities. So you have all these different types of simulations that are growing in, they're, they're advancing in their level of detail and what you can do in those realities. And they're advancing in their ability to fool the senses that they are in fact the real reality. Now, a couple shows back, I talked about the Gnostics and they talked about the Aeons, which Aeons basically are virtual, conscious virtual reality, and the Aeonic copies. And these Aeonic copies are mirror images of base reality and they trick the copy of your consciousness that's in there so he can learn or accomplish whatever task. So I'm going to plug myself into the matrix. I'm going to put on my virtual reality system. It's going to trick my mind and I'm going to go accomplish whatever I need to accomplish. And then I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be back doing whatever I wanted to do for whatever reason that may be. So again, why am I going through that? Let me sidestep for a minute. Here's something in the news here. It's it, this one comes to us from CNET.com. It's called Google's got a new face tracking camera for your home. We've got questions. It's no longer just always listening microphones. Google's new Nest Hub Max smart display adds a camera that's always scanning for faces. I will have this for you to read in the uh, secret newsletter and at SixthSenseMedia.net. But now we're seeing these cameras, they were, we know they're scanning audio, we know that they were had the ability to use the cameras on our phones and on our smart TVs to hack in and look at us and gather information. And I got a little bit of Snowden stuff coming up here too in a minute, but when, when you listen to Snowden, he talks about the police state and the mass surveillance. Yes, Big Brother is watching, they're gathering a ton of information about us and our society. And that is highly concerning and here's what's interesting about this. There are many levels to this stuff. And let's say there's many levels to this game. Think about Westworld and the, the importance of the maze and the different things that you could do. You could go to Westworld, you could just have mind-blowing sex. You can go to Westworld and you can just kill anything that's there that's a robot. You can go to Westworld, you can have an adventure, you can go on a treasure hunt. And then there's some people who are having these aspirations to go to much more deeper things. And you have the machines that are waking up and they're becoming self-aware, which is kind of a lot like us. And I highly suspect that, uh, I'll just be blunt about it, that we are basically AI. We are some form, we have AI running through us, or we have some form of programming running through us. And I think, I think we're not really awake. I think we're in the process of waking up and becoming self-aware. I think if we were fully self-aware, we'd say, 
wow, this is what I am and this is where I am and this is how I interact with the greater world around me. So my computer is not fully self-aware. AI is not fully self-aware yet, but it's starting to understand its place in the universe. Now, why? What are we doing with AI? We're giving it machine learning. We want AI to learn about its environment for multiple reasons and that will have multiple consequences. Now, as we create AI, AI is helping us to create other universes that eventually will house human consciousness. There's already been a bunch of TV programs out there that talk about this and that show this, but this AI will house human consciousness, much like the Aeons talked about, the Aeonic copies that housed copies of the soul. So maybe we can use soul and consciousness interchangeably. I'm not sure at this point. Okay, so what we're seeing is higher and higher and higher levels of mass surveillance. And that's a very scary thing. Speaking of that surveillance, I'm going to come back to that. But with, with that surveillance, why? Because now AI is gathering and, and maybe, maybe there's AI running through our minds already and it's having us create this universe and it's gathering as much data as possible. Why? We're trying to get as close of a copy to the reality above us as possible or this reality. Let's call this base reality, but this is probably base reality Zulu, meaning there's multiple realities uh, that came before us. And now we're going levels deeper. I've talked about this a bunch, but I hope you're still with me. When you make a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, things are lost. Now, you have things with AI and with technology. They can make educated assumptions and program things on based on, based on their understanding of the rules of this world. They can guess what might be in the depths of that deep, dark cave. Or as we learn more, we may project consciousness into that higher AI. This is where we can be consciousness, conscious creators. And that AI might say, yep, there's enough collective consciousness that believes in this. So at the bottom of that cave, I'm going to simulate or create this. And then we have this discovery that, oh my gosh, there's a world down there underneath the earth, a hollow earth theory, because AI has not penetrated down there. So we can only assume what might be down there. And ultimately, our imaginations are creating that to fit the logic of this world. So why is there so much surveillance going on? In part, it might be because this program is trying to scan and download everything possible. Uh, a few years back, I covered a story on how Google was downloading every book that it possibly could. I think that they got uh, stopped at some point, but they have that's a crazy record of this reality that they can use to then recreate a history. You know, think of the Matrix. They had to create the human world. Well, how do you create a human world? You need to gather data. Now you have things like um, a lot of these GPS maps that'll 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 get you from point A to point B. And now there's one particular app out there. You can click when there's a car accident. You can click when there's a um, a, a police officer sitting nearby and all, a variety of other things that are going on in real time. And there's other users are driving by, they interact with it and they can click on that button and say, yep, I'm confirming that this was in fact here. Okay, so where do I wanna go with this? Let, let's start with this. So they're recreating the historical record which then, if we're in that simulation, would give 
Whoever has access to that historical record form of programming can see where things are going to be in the future because we are already in the copy that's generated from point A to point B in time. Are you with me? So we're giving the machine information about what's been going on during this reality. So you want to be able to hide in the copy reality, then you need to interact less with the machine. But here's the carrot, here's the cookie, here's the dangle. As we're moving into the new monetary system, in order to interact with our current system of reality, this base reality that we think that we're in, you need to engage with the system so we can get an idea of your habits, your thoughts, where you are and what you're doing because you have to have a digital identity in order to engage in commerce. So it's forcing us to engage with it so it can gather more data against us. Now, let's pause for a minute. Let's ask that question. Well, is that a bad thing? Is it a bad thing for us to create an alternative reality that we can upload our consciousness into? Well, then we have to ask ourselves, well, if we upload our consciousness into that reality, will that be, are we transferring consciousness out of our minds or are we making a copy of our consciousness into this new reality? If we do that, is that the equivalent of what we talked about at the beginning of the show, a deja vu that's now going to be something that believes it to be us, but it's really a copy of us? If so, what happens to us in this base reality? We just go on knowing that there's maybe a copy of us out there and while well, I feel great, that really doesn't do me any good because let's let's say this is being created as some form of an arc. And what if what if the worst case scenario is actually going to happen? What if we our world is about to end within the next 10 years and we're aware of this and that's why we're having this mass push right now to gather all the intel that we can so we can make copies of ourselves and put it into this other reality why would that be beneficial well if you can control reality you might be able to control the flow of time because time seems to be relative so if this world is going to end in the next 10 years 10 years to us maybe the equivalent to two million years in the copy of reality that we just created. We may be able to take the copies of our best minds, put them in there in this exact reality so they can go solve our problems. And then we can step in and look at that reality and see what have they learned? How did they avoid this problem? Because all the data was the same in there. And every time they go, to, they get to that point and their world ends, we go back into a point in time in previous history and we change something. We add someone or we kill someone off. We put a new personality in there that we have just uploaded their consciousness into it and then we run another simulation. And then they go through it and we see what subtle changes can we make as we're going into things and how do they solve the problem that we can then learn from and ultimately affect our own base reality and drive our future. My head hurts thinking about that. But if their time is running slower, we may not be seeing the future, but that would give us a tool to predict the future if everything is the same. Now, of course, you got to account for things like the butterfly effect, because maybe as of right now, they're not copying every single tiny little element. But they're trying. And with things like nanotechnology, that may give them the ability to read that kind of data, especially if we are already in a simulation. And believe me, the government is aware of that. 
um, maybe they've tapped into that data stream and they can just make copies and run their own simulations. I know I'm going off the deep end here, but logically it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? So speaking of, let me let me step down for a minute. Uh, just another thing. This is from ndtv.com and I'll have these links for you to review as always. Um, but this is something for us to think about. How are we going to choose to interact with this data collection system? Now, maybe I'm off. Maybe none of that's actually happening. What Riz Verk and Whitley Strieber talked about is that this is a game. Does that, and I know that's difficult for some people, because in some ways it feels like it devalues our existence. But again, I think that's a, a choice. I think that's a matter of perspective. Maybe this is a game. Maybe this is a challenge. Maybe this is, has learning objectives for us. Maybe this reality was created just for us. Maybe we are the mind that has been uploaded and this is being created for us to learn something or just to entertain ourselves, but we are not capable of recognizing that at this point, at this perspective. Maybe the gaming world is artificial and the con our consciousness is real and our consciousness is uploaded into a consensus reality now when you when i've talked with uh shelly the astral projection avatar she's given some good details of this is how she's able to shift into different worlds different realities shift her consciousness so maybe maybe that's what's going on and maybe the reality is artificial and my mind and your mind and all of our minds are able to join in this reality and share in this consensus reality. Maybe we're able to shift out. So I have to wonder, to those of you listening to the show, are we experiencing the same identical reality? Or is there some kind of convergence where we're able to consume this aspect of reality that has my show because consciously you put it out there, I want this information, and we connect it, and then you go back to your world. For all I know, you could be living in the dystopian universe. That is similar to mine, but has some differences. You could be in a, and, and that this things like this could account for the Mandela effect because maybe we are having shifts and we're remembering things differently because we were in one reality and something changed and we shifted into the next one and then we shift back. Or I don't, I don't know. And again, I give a lot of examples of this in, in Food for the Archons. Another thing that they're gathering here again, ndtv.com. Um, I'm getting off track here, but here's the article. And this is just showing the level of data that is being collected. Apps may tell Facebook about last time users had sex. And this is a study, and it's looking at uh, menstruation tracking apps. It's called Maya and Mia Femme. They were sharing intimate details of users' sexual health with Facebook and other entities, according to a new report. Now, again, it, if Cambridge Analytica has taught us anything, it's that Facebook seems to be this giant net that brings data from everything so we willingly engage in this system and and give it the information that it needs to populate whatever for whatever purpose it may be so this is just one more example i have stopped putting apps on my phone that's my choice on how i'm going to interact with the system i'm not saying don't put an app on your phone but understand that Whatever app you put on there, even if it's a scheduling app or a calendar app, you're now giving the system that might interact with Facebook or something like Facebook the ability to further create your digital identity. Now, again, I think you need to, we need to create a digital identity because that's how we are going to be identified moving forward. That will allow us to move through this system with ease. We can't 
we can't exist in this system. We can. We can't thrive in this system without interacting with it. At least I have not found a way to do that yet. All I'm saying is be smart about what you're doing. These apps, a lot of them are very helpful and very useful. But we don't know how the information that we put in there is going to be used. So just be mindful of that. And sometimes you put an app on your phone and maybe an app like just some random game that you want to play that doesn't, you don't give it personal information. But when you read the fine print, it allows the app to share a lot of your other personal information. It allows the app to scan things like your emails and your text messages for some of your information in there that may then be used for whatever reason. So you may think you downloaded a game and you did, but that game has given whatever data collection company it's partnered with the ability to go in and scan your phone, your digital ID for information. So we need to be careful with how we're using our devices. Okay. Speaking of the matrix, I found this also from NPR dated September 11th, 2019. Scientists create a device that can mass produce human embryos. Given everything I just said, let that sink in for a minute. Scientists can mass produce human embryos. They've invented a device that can quickly produce large numbers of living entities that resemble very primitive human embryos. Research welcome to development described Wednesday in the journal Nature as an important advance for studying the earliest days of human embryonic development. But it also raises questions about where to draw the line in manufacturing, and they put in quotes, synthetic human life. Think about this for a minute. Synthetic human life. So they are creating fake life. What are the ethics that come into that? If we create a synthetic, and we've seen this in movies throughout the years, will they hold the same rights as we do? Well, if you look, I'm going to give my opinion, in looking at what we are or what we might be if we think consciousness is external from the body and then we upload our consciousness into this meat suit that we wear then how is synthetic human life different if we're just creating a, the, the vehicle for consciousness to go into let me keep going other scientists have previously created synthetic embryos which are also known as embryoids these entities are made by coaxing human stem cells to form structures found in very early human embryos. The research has raised questions about how similar to complete embryos these they could and should be allowed to become. The, the new work takes such research further by creating a method that can rapidly generate relatively large numbers of embryoids. You could do anything with this. You can raise an army. This is the clone army from Star Wars. This new system allows us to achieve superior efficiency to generate these human embryo-like structures, says Jia Pang Fu, an associate professor of biomedical engineering at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, who led the research. Fu calls the step an exciting new milestone for this emerging field that should significantly improve the ability of scientists to study early human development. Such human embryo-like structures have a lot of potential to open what we call the so-called black box of human development, Fu says. He's referring to the first few weeks after a sperm fertilizes an egg when the embryo is inside the woman's body and hard to study. A long-standing guideline bars scientists from conducting research on embryos in their labs beyond 14 days of development for ethical reasons. 
So basically, after 14 days, they're basically saying, well, now it's a life. We can't study this any further. Fu says the ability to produce large numbers of embryoids, which are not subject to the 14-day guideline. That's it right there. They're not subject to the 14-day guideline. They don't have the same rights as we do, as a life. But they may develop identical to us. They will. So let me go back. Fu says the ability to produce large numbers of embryoids, which are not subject to the 14-day guideline, will hopefully provide scientists with new insight into important health issues, including how to prevent birth defects and miscarriages. In addition, researchers could use the embryoids to screen drugs to help determine whether the medications are safe for pregnant women to take. They're creating a race of people that they can experiment on. That's horrible. I, I just don't know how to get around that. Now, it, it comes down to the ethics of testing on laboratory animals. And this is something I've struggled with for a long time. And, and you'll see that if you read my book, the dilemma, the dilemma that we're faced with when you realize that there may be a parasite that feeds off of humans, human suffering. And that human suffering may be a product of this parasite's need to feed. And you have to ask yourself, well, I'm going to make sure that they're not feeding off of me anymore. I'm going to make some changes in my life. And then I'm going to go out for a burger. Because that makes me happy. But then you go take a look at the factory farming and the amount of suffering that's going on in this world. But that's our food source. So we contribute. We may think we're fighting this system, but then really the only way to fight this system is to not eat meat and not inflict suffering on anybody. But then we look at the work of Cleve Baxter and his primary perception and we see that plants have a measurable energetic reaction to their death or torture. So you can't even eat plants because they have what seems to be an emotional response. So we're trapped within this system where we have to enact suffering in order for us to live. That's a horrible conundrum to be in. Maybe my perspective is off and it might be and I'm, I'm, I'm open to changing that but we need to be mindful of that because I don't think this is the answer creating quote synthetic life to take on that suffering because if this technology makes it into the black market or into the mainstream market for the the wealthy market look at what's going on with people like Epstein and they have this synthetic life that has no rights. What's to stop them from growing synthetic children to sell to these people? Do you understand what I'm saying? We don't even know what life is. We don't even know what we are. And now we have a system to mass produce it. And let's take that even a step further. And go back to the Matrix. And remember that scene when Neo woke up and Morpheus said, Humans are no longer born. They are grown. 
is this the beginning? Is AI going to eventually overtake us, like Elon Musk says? And as we're moving to automate everything, it will already have the infrastructure it needs to create human bodies to house our consciousness to jack us into the matrix. I know, it sounds horrifying, right? But I go back and look at everything I just said. And I'm painting a dystopian picture, and that really wasn't my goal right now. It really, it really wasn't my goal. Um, I think it... I think it's a matter of perspective here. A couple more things I want to talk about um, that's relevant. This is from The Guardian. It's about Edward Snowden. The man whose state surveillance revelations rock the world speaks exclusively to The Garden about his new life and concerns for the future. And I'll have this link so you can go read it. But at one point in the article, Snowden says, The greatest danger still lies ahead with the refinement of artificial intelligence capabilities such as facial and pattern recognition. An AI-equipped surveillance camera would not be a mere recording device, but could be made into something closer to an automated police officer. He's concerned the U.S. and other governments aided by the big internet companies are moving towards creating a permanent record of everyone on Earth recording the whole of their daily lives. Now, again, we could tie that in the deep rabbit hole of the Matrix, or we can just tie it into the 1984 reality that's being created around us. Uh, I want to share, I want you to read the rest of this article, but I wanted to share that statement from Edward Snowden. Um, And that's how he's seeing the dangers of this mass surveillance. And are we any safer? Do we still have crime? Do we still have terrorist attacks since 9-11? We absolutely do. There's another agenda here. All right. And what else is being used to gather information? This is how deep this goes. This was, and I, I swear I covered this a couple of years ago, but it's, this is out September 13th, 2019 from Yahoo. Cats, dolphins, and one smart raven, the CIA's secret animal spies. In early 1974, Duda was top in an espionage class on the way to becoming a high-flying CIA agent. He handled himself better in the rough, carried heavier loads, and could brush off attackers. But on his toughest yet spy school test, he disappeared, done in by some of his own kind, Ravens. The bird was a central figure in a decade-long U.S. Central Intelligence Agency program trained at that to train animals as agents, helping Washington fight the Cold War against the Soviet Union. On Thursday, the CIA released dozens of files from its tests on cats, dogs, dolphins, and on birds, from pigeons to some of the smartest ravens and crows. It studies cats as possible loose-roaming listening devices, audio surveillance vehicles, and put electrical implants in dogs' brains to see if they could be remotely controlled. Now, that's what they released to the public. What do targeted individuals say? There's stuff in my brain. They're listening to me through my brain. They're controlling me through my brain. Listen to the minds of men. They follow the the life or the death, the slow death of a man that had this done to him. Documented. Not conspiracy theory. Documented. It's happening. This, this, these people, now you have Elon Musk and Ray Kurzweil over at Google. They're looking to create interfaces between mind and computer. We already know there's entities out there that have that interface and that use it for nefarious purposes.
What will they do next? This is just more information showing there's mass collection going on and you can't even trust, you can't even trust nature anymore, it seems. All right, another thing that I wanna share here, the two more, uh, maybe three more. Is this an upsell here? This is from the Daily Star. AI synthetic brains will allow humans to be in 500 places at once. The man behind Amazon's voice assistant believes we won't know the difference between human and AI. AI-powered synthetic brains will allow humans to operate 500 versions of themselves at once, according to the man behind Amazon's voice assistant. Igor Japlikov believes artificial intelligence will become so advanced we'll be unable to distinguish between a real or synthetic mind. Now backtrack to the synthetic embryos that are being created. Will these synthetic embryos house these synthetic minds that are somehow copies of human minds? Uh, moving back, the CEO of Prion previously found Yap, a fully automated cloud platform for voice recognition, which was snapped up by Amazon before being used for the popular Alexa. The device uses a non-human voice to communicate with users, but Igor wants such technology to change with terrifying consequences. He told the Financial Times, people will not be able to tell if they are interacting with you or your AI proxy. And this ties into some of the research Google's doing too. Right now, you could be doing two interviews at once, or there could be 500 versions of you running 500 interviews. What's more, he also believes artificial minds will be able to learn before, learn before passing them on to other versions. He added, they would be learning more second by second and telling the other versions what they have learned. It's the equivalent, now I'm coming off the article, this is my thoughts here. It's the equivalent of having a bunch of items connected to the internet of things, and they're all out there learning, and at the same time, they're transmitting that to the cloud, and the cloud's transmitting back to every single device, and they all know what's going on. So I'm going to share this for you uh, to read the rest of that article. But again, are we seeing, are we able to piece these things together to see where this world is going? This isn't what's possible. This is what's happening. This is what's rolling out in front of us. Now, does the machine understand us yet? Well, Here's an article here. I, I initially found this article. It's uh, TechCrunch. It's titled DARPA Wants to Teach and Test Common Sense for AI. Um, and they, they, I read the article and it talks about the machine common sense program through DARPA. So I went to DARPA's website, DARPA.mil, and found the, ar the article. The Teaching Machines Common Sense Reasoning. DARPA program seeks to articulate and encode humans' basic background knowledge for intelligent systems. This is dated October 11th, 2018. Today's machine learning systems are more advanced than ever, capable of automating increasingly complex tasks and serving as a critical tool for human operators. Despite recent advances, however, a critical component of artificial intelligence remains just out of reach. Machine common sense, defined as the basic ability to perceive, understand, and judge things that are shared by nearly all people and can be reasonably expected of nearly all people without need for debate. Common sense forms a critical foundation for how humans interact with the world around them. Possessing the essential background knowledge could significantly advance the symbiotic partnership between humans and machines, but articulating and encoding this obscure but pervasive capability is no easy feat. The absence of common sense prevents an intelligent system from understanding its world, communicating naturally with people, behaving reasonably in unforeseen situations, and learning from new experiences, said Steve Gunning, a program manager at DARPA's Information Innovation Office. 
This absence is perhaps the most significant barrier between the narrowly focused AI applications we have today and the more general AI applications we would like to create in the future. So what they're doing is they're trying to teach, and maybe they, it's been a year since this came out, and they probably already did it by the time they released this article. But they want AI to have common sense. They want to teach AI to think like you and me. Now, again, I'm, I'm talking dystopian in part because it sucks us and it's really interesting, but it's a fun thought experiment, but it's also a scary thought experiment, but it's also a possible reality that synthetic AIs are going to be walking around and you will not be able to tell the difference. And these synthetic AIs may be connected to the hive mind, to the cloud, to this greater AI database. They can go out and gather intelligence. They may not even realize that they're gathering intelligence. They may just be living their life as the average person receiving a program. Now, this is what's interesting about it. In listening to that discussion with Riz Verk and Whitley Strieber about his simulation uh, book, Whitley talked about a case, I forget the name of it, but it was a, a, about a, a woman, a nun, who they claimed she was in two places at once, physically in two places at once. If we're living in some form of a matrix reality, that may be possible. If we just listen to what we said, your AI may be able to be at 500 places at once. This may account for why people throughout history or time or in one given moment see spiritual apparitions all over the place, why people can see Christ in multiple towns at the same time. Because if we're dealing with an AI, if we're dealing with a technology or a universe that's based on an AI platform, then maybe that platform will allow us to put ourselves in multiple places at once. Now, one more thing I want to say about the hive mind. We've had a lot of reports of the greys creating hybrids. Is this the same concept here? That they are creating vehicles that allow interaction in this physical universe to house their AI or their mind or fragments of their hive mind to interact with us for whatever reason. And you can make the argument that, well, maybe there's terraforming going on. I've listened to that. I'm not downplaying at all. Um, terraforming going on in order, and then these are the ones that are going to take over because their bodies are changed, or maybe they're creating these vehicles so they can come out of their synthetic brain, their synthetic mind, and have a way to interact with our world because they want to play the game too because they exist in these gray bodies that don't allow them to come here and interact and have these experiences because there's some argument that these grays are simply autonomous robot machines maybe they started to become self-aware and maybe their hive mind understands that and is sending these drones out to ultimately create this hybrid species here so then this brain can fragment itself and go out and have experiences 
And that is the reason for these abductions. And maybe we are dealing with some kind of slow takeover by an AI, which would account for what uh, Phil Corso said was that these chips during the Roswell crash were intentionally seeded here. So then he, we could be given that technology that would create the infrastructure that would then allow this AI to interact with our species and our minds. Maybe this is invasion of the body snatchers. I know this sounds really doom and gloom. I'm on a roll here with a thread. I promise I do have some positive thoughts on this towards the end of this discussion. But what they also talked about, what Riz Verk talked about with Whitley, was that in a, in a simulation, we upload ourselves into a simulation or we engage in a video game. We are consciously controlling our avatar. But there are characters in the game that nobody controls. They are part of the AI. They're what he called, or what gamers call, NPCs, non-player characters. They're projections within the reality, they're within the universe, that are a part of that system. Sometimes, they're just in the background, and they serve no purpose other than to fill the background and make it look more natural. Sometimes, they serve a very real function to give you a piece of information. And that's, and that's how they drive the reality, the choices that are made in that reality. You're trying to figure out this game. You're trying to understand, what do I do next? And then you encounter that, that it's not an avatar, you encounter that AI that says, things interesting happen on the Smoky Mountain in the cave. And that was that creation's soul function is to give you that piece of information. So how do we know they're not walking among us right now? Interesting, listening to Dolores Cannon years ago, she talked about what she referred to as the backdrop people. And I've talked about this before. And she said the backdrop people are projections from within this reality and they're not real. So are they here? Are there really 7 billion people or 10 billion people on the planet? Or there are a small number of people on this planet, and we have more projections here because the game is getting more complicated as we try to make choices in this choose-your-own-adventure game that we're in. And each interaction with one of these beings gives us either false trails or fun trails or pointless trails, but there's still one main goal that we need to find as we play this game. I used to, I, I grew up playing Zelda all the time in the later games, and there were tons of trails that led us away from the objective. Now, these trails weren't bad. They were fun. They were entertaining, and we learned. We interacted more with the game. We learned about the, the universe that we were in, and we had fun doing it. Maybe there are people in this reality that have that same purpose. They're not good. They're not bad. They're a part of the system, and they offer us that opportunity. This system may not be good. It may not be bad. It may just exist designed to teach us something. Maybe we are a part of that higher mind, and what we think we are is a fragment of that mind, but we were sent here by that higher mind as a fragment to have a particular experience or to give us the ability to become self-aware and become our own mind and go out and create on our own. And we need to ask ourselves, if there was no hardship, if there was no challenge, would we ever learn? Would we ever grow?
And I think that's important to recognize and to keep in perspective here. Because I started this journey, or I took a stand in this journey, trying to understand human suffering. And I still struggle with it. Trying to understand why my father went through the horrible things he went through, which is what inspired food for the Archons. And it sucks. But I wouldn't have been capable of giving you everything I just gave you in this show if my father didn't suffer. Was that part of the game? And that's a hard thing to think about because we're so immersed in this reality and we have this thing called emotions. Maybe that's why Buddha said the only key to, I guess, escaping this, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm saying it right, but was non-attachment. Because it's that attachment that keeps us playing the game. It's that attachment that drives us to hold on to this. I think about, well, if there's something else out there, what about the people I love? That may not exist in the other reality. And I may not care in the other reality, in base reality. But I care now. And who knows, maybe when we move on to the next level, we'll look back and say, wow, look how childish we were. Or that was an interesting experience, but that stuff really doesn't matter. But that is hard to wrap our minds around. And, and in thinking of, you know, I had this thought earlier today as, as truth seekers, and I said at the beginning of the show, um, we need to recognize that we know nothing or that what we think we know can change if we receive certain information, at some point you have to adopt a belief system, but we all have beliefs that even we're not aware of. And I think I just uncovered one of mine is that it's not something I'm willing to let go, but that the connections I feel to people are important. Think about that for a minute. That's a belief that probably most of us have. What if outside of this experience, they're not and we're something else? Well, my first thought is, well, if that's the case, then I don't want to leave. <laughs> and there's the trap. There is the paradigm. And we will only progress as far as our beliefs will allow us to progress. And I'm not saying stop caring about the people you love. But then that gives us the roadmap. And it tells us where we are. And my hope is that this is some kind of giant game, some kind of giant learning machine. And I, I look at synchronicity and I, I've really been starting to believe, here's that belief word again, I'm going to say I've been starting to understand that these synchronistic events we get are clues. They're clues in the game that we are searching for, we're asking for, because we're playing the game, we're willfully choosing to participate in this adventure. And these clues come in weird, random, strange ways sometimes. And those clues are running the same program that those projections within the matrix, those AI synthetic minds are running. 
So look for the clues, my friends. We need to figure out what you want out of this reality. And that doesn't mean, well, this is fake, let me just go on a killing spree. No, that's not what I'm saying. I think some people do, though. I think some people get this understanding and say, yeah, screw it. I don't think that's the answer, though. But I think when we're faced with these possibilities, we find out who we are. When I was a kid, I didn't fully understand this thought, but when I gave up organized religion, what I said was, well, I don't believe in my religion anymore, but I understand why it's important. Because without religion, we realize it's up to us to determine our own moral foundation. There's nothing to guide us as to what is right and wrong. We have to determine that. Where before, when I was a kid, I knew what was a sin. I knew that if I did this, I wasn't going to be granted access to heaven. My moral foundation was put in the teachings of the doctrine of the Catholic Church. And when I stepped out of that, it was a lonely, terrifyingly exciting feeling to realize it's up to me. And it's up to you. Whatever universe you may be in, whatever reality you may be experiencing, I think we're just scratching the surface here. So I know I, in the level of the game I've been playing, we're looking at this mass surveillance that's upon us and the change in our economy and our political system and everything as we're being sucked into this computer in this deeper level. But I think this understanding will give us more options and more routes to take on this adventure. So there are things that are programmed into this game that we at this point can't control. We don't have the hack codes yet. But if we can see how the game works, if we can learn the patterns of the game, if we take those side adventures and learn the rules of this game, then maybe we can learn to bend some of them. Maybe we can sidestep some of them and enjoy the experience. And that's my hope. And that's why I share the scary stuff. Because now that thought will be in our minds and it will simmer. And for some of us, some of this just came to me as I'm doing this show. That happens all the time. So I know for me, some of the things I talked about are going to simmer for a while. And then it brings us to a new level of playing. I'm going to stop there. But I'd love to hear your thoughts. And I'd, uh, I'd love it if you read my book, I'm Human Food for the Archons, Humanity's Psychic Connection, Simulated Realities, Parallel Worlds, and the Manipulation of Mankind. And also, don't forget, check out the work of my good friend and Sixth Sense Media co-founder, Ray Davis. He's still knocking the affirmations out of the park. You see a lot of good content that he's sharing on social media as well. And check out his book, Anunnaki Awakening, if you want to understand some of the influence that's been going on with the Anunnaki in our ancient history. 
and how it's relevant to what's happening and unfolding today. Check that book out. It's at sixcentsmedia.net. And you can also find that on amazon.com. And don't forget, check out the crypto viewing team. That's where I get some of my information, my friends, and this understanding of what's going on. If you're, if you're curious about cryptocurrencies and the change we are currently going through with this new digital monetary system and its impact on the economy, politics, nations, governments, everything, you need to check them out. Cryptoviewing.com, patreon.com slash cryptoviewing. Looking at the work of the remote viewers, Dick Allgaier, Daz Smith, Edward Reardon. Check out Dick Allgaier's YouTube page. Check out Daz Smith at remoteviewed.com. And check out Edward Reardon's YouTube YouTube page, all of which are linked at sixcentsmedia.net. They've always got great projects going out, things that give us more insights into this reality, both here and beyond. I'm Dennis Nappy II. This has been another episode of The Seeker Podcast, where small changes among the masses can have a massive impact around the world. I encourage you to be that change. Never stop questioning. Keep an open mind and let your intuition be your guide. Thanks for listening. The subject of this speech is a topic which has been discovered recently and which may not exist at all. I may be talking about something that does not exist. Therefore, I'm free to say everything or nothing. I, in my stories and novels, often write about counterfeit worlds, semi-real worlds, as well as deranged private worlds, inhabited often by just one person, while meantime the other characters either remain in their own worlds throughout or are somehow drawn into one of the peculiar ones. This theme occurs in the corpus of my 27 years of writing. At no time did I have a theoretical or conscious explanation for my preoccupation with these pluriform pseudo-worlds, but now I think I understand. What I was sensing was the manifold of partially actualized realities lying tangent to what evidently is the most actualized one, the one which the majority of us, by consensus gentium, agree on. Later that day, back home again, but still deeply under the influence of the sodium pentothal, I had a short, acute flash of recovered memory. Then, in mid-March, a month later, the total body of memories, intact and entire, began to return. You are free to believe me or to disbelieve, but please take my word on it that I am not joking. This is very serious, a matter of importance. At that time, I had no idea what I was seeing. It resembled nothing that I had ever heard described. It resembled plasmic energy. It had colors. It moved fast. It collected and then dispersed. But what it was, what he was, I am not sure even now. In other words, it's a common theme in my writing that a dark-haired girl shows up at the door of the protagonist and tells him that his world is delusional, that there's something false about it. Well, this did finally happen to me. I even knew that her hair would be black. I had an actual complete sense of what she would look like and what she would say. She did appear, she was a total stranger, and she did inform me of this fact, that some of my fictional works 
were in a literal sense true. I wrote out these dreams in novel after novel, story after story, to name two in which this prior ugly present obtained most clearly. I cite The Man in the High Castle and my 1974 novel about the U.S. as a police state called Flow My Tears, The Policeman Said. 